Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Amen. Well, last Sunday we began a three-part series I'm calling, It's About Time. Have you ever been waiting on someone to catch up with everyone else and be on the same page with you? Finally, they have their aha moment and you say to them, well, it's about time. A few weeks ago, the Lord spoke this phrase to me, it's about time. I immediately sat down and I began to write. Number one, I wrote, it's about time we grew up. We talked about that last Sunday. And I I encourage you, if you were not here last Sunday, to get online and listen to that sermon. You might want to put on some steel-toed boots uh, before you do. Second thing that... uh, I wrote down, and what we're going to talk about today is it's about time we gave up. It's about time we gave up. Our scripture for today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We're going to read that. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. So I want to reread two phrases. And the first phrase I want us to notice is you do not belong to yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't belong to yourself. And the second phrase I want us to notice is Paul says God bought you with a high price. Turn to your neighbor and say, God bought you with a high price. So God's word for us today is, it's about time we gave up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible, your infallible, your miraculous word. God, I pray that your anointing will be upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, I just pray that you'll give us ears upon our heart to hear the word, Father, Let us receive your word. Let us apply your word. Father, let us do what the word of the Lord says. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, Paul says in our scripture today that if we are in Christ, that if we are serving the Lord, that if we are saved, that we do not belong to ourselves. That we are no longer servants to self, but we are servants of God. We need to understand that a true servant has nothing of his own. That everything that a true servant has in his possession belongs to his master. Now, Now, he has access to everything that his master has, but he owns none of it. As I was thinking about this, as I was praying, as the Lord was directing me and leading me in this message, there there are three things that we tend to hold on to. Three things that we have a hard time letting go of. The word of the Lord for us today is it's about time. It's about time we gave up. It's about time we let go of the things that we are holding on to so tightly. 
Now, it may or it may not be uh, one of the three things that we're going to talk about today, but I believe that God is going to show you the thing or the things that you are holding on to, the things that you look to for security in your life. How many know that if you are holding on to something, you are holding on to it because you are looking to that thing for your security? What we need to understand is that God doesn't want us looking to things for our security. God does not want us to look to our position for our security. God doesn't want us looking to anything for our security but to him. I ask you this morning, what is it that you are holding on to today? Because God says it's about time we gave up. First of all, I believe it's time that we gave up our rights. Time we gave up our rights. Paul said in our text, you do not belong to yourself. Servants belong to their master. We are servants of Christ. If we are servants of Christ, that means that Jesus is our master. He paid the highest price possible to purchase us. We shouldn't live for ourselves, but we should live for him. We should not live to please ourselves, but we should live to please our master. In light of that, there are three things in three areas I want to talk about where we should give up our rights to. And the first one is this. We should give up our rights to what we do. If Jesus is our master, if we are his servant, then we should give up our right to what we do. We we shouldn't just do what we want to do. We should do what we believe that Jesus wants us to do. Now, we hear this all the time. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. But but I'm going to say it again this morning. That is, God has a specific plan for all of our lives. And our job is simply to figure out God's plan and then to fulfill that plan. David wrote in Psalm 139 and verse number 16. David, speaking to God, he said to God, he said, You saw me before I was ever born. And he said, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, if this doesn't convince us that God has a plan for us, then I don't think anything would ever convince us. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that God's plan for me is much better than my plan for me. Now, if you haven't been living for God very long, you don't understand that and you don't know that. But I've been living for God for a long, long time and I have discovered, and it's taken a lot of time, but I have finally discovered that God's plan for my life is much better than my plan for my life. I think I know what I want. I think I know what I need. I think I know what will make me happy. I think I know how God ought to run his business. But I've discovered that God's way is better than my way. And his plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. And I've learned that when I want to turn right, but God tells me to turn left, experience has taught me that I better turn left. That eventually, that eventually turning left will be much better for me than if I were to turn right. 
Now, I'm not saying that if God, if I want to go right and God tells me to turn left, and if I turn left, that everything immediately uh, is going to be great and wonderful and marvelous and awesome, and I'm going to see all of the reasons why that I should have turned left because God told me to turn left. I'm not saying that, but I am telling you, experience has told me that when I want to turn right, but God tells me to turn left, if I'll turn left, eventually, eventually, left will be much more uh, productive for me and much better for me in my life than if I would have gone my own way and went right. Then also to where we go. Not just to what we do, but also to where we go. Now, if I'd gone where I wanted to go 13 and a half years ago, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. And I want to tell you that I'm so glad I didn't go where I wanted to go, but instead God blocked my path to where I wanted to go, and he shined a light on the path where he wanted me to go, and I'm so glad that he did. One or two of you may not be glad, but I'm glad. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 6 says, To seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Pastor, I don't know which path to take. Pastor, I'm at a crossroads in my life, and I don't know what what decision to make. I don't know where to go. I don't know which path to take. Well, Proverbs 3 and 6 says that if you will seek his will in all you do, that he will show you which path to take. If you will ask him which is the right way, which is the right path for you, he will show you the path to take. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10 through 12 says, My child, listen to me and do what I say. Say, listen and do. My child, listen to me and do what I say, and you will have a long, good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways, and I will lead you in a straight path. And when you walk, you will not be held back, and when you run, you will not stumble. I can personally tell you that my greatest successes in life have come when I went where God wanted me to go and did what he wanted me to do. I can also tell you by experience that my times of struggle and my times of mediocrity have come in the times that I have done what I thought was best. When I tried to fix things on my own. When I steered the wheel, when I got out of the co-pilot seat and got in the seat of the pilot. You know, years ago, there was a bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Well, I don't know whoever came up with that, but it's wrong. If God is your co-pilot, get out of that seat. If God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. God is not my co-pilot. God is the pilot. I'm not telling God what to do. I'm not telling God where to go. I'm not giving God ideas. He is the pilot, and I'm the co-pilot. So if God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. It's time we gave up our rights, our rights to what we do, to where we go. And number three, to know why things happen as they do. See, a servant doesn't need to know why. A servant only needs to know what and where. 
Servant isn't responsible for the outcome of his master's decisions. His job is simply to carry out the orders of his master. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, one of my life verses says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and that are called according to his purpose for them. Man's biggest problem with God is in trying to understand him. Trying to understand why God does what he does. But I want you to listen to me this morning. We will never get there. It is absolutely impossible to understand God. You say, why? Because we're not on his level. We're not on his level. On his level, we're not in his league. Not not only are we not in the same zip code as he is, we're not even in the same universe. And we're going to try and understand God, and we're going to question God and what God does, and we're going to try and figure out the ways of God. Listen, give it up. You'll never get there. Isaiah 55, verse 89, God says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could ever imagine. Even as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As servants of the Lord, we we have no right to demand to know why our master does or doesn't do what he does or doesn't do. Our job is simply to trust and to obey. And only when we fully trust him will we fully obey him. I'm going to say that again. Only when we fully trust him will we fully obey him. And I also want to say this this morning. Disobedience is a sure sign of a lack of trust. When we disobey God, when we refuse to do what God says, what we were actually saying is, God, I don't trust you. I'm not sure you really know what you're doing, God. I'm not going to obey you because I don't trust you. I'm going to disobey you because I have a lack of trust. You know why most people don't tithe? They don't tithe because they don't really believe what the Word of God says. They don't really believe that that if they tithe that God will open the windows of heaven over them. They don't really believe that God will rebuke the devourer for them. They don't really believe that God will take the 90% that's left over and make it go further than the 100%. They disobey because of a lack of trust. But here's what I've learned in my daily walk with God for over 40 years, and that is God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Now listen, listen, you'll never fully understand him. You're not always going to like what God does. You're not always going to agree with his decisions. And listen, his decisions don't always make sense to a logical human mind, but he can be trusted. His ways are best. He knows what he is doing, even even when we can't figure him out. And I don't know about you, but I can't figure God out more often than not. When I see a situation, man, I, you know, I hear, you know, God, you know, listen, just do it this way. Let me send you an email, God. Let me give you three suggestions. You take one of them. 
And then God does something completely opposite of what I would do or what I think is right or I think would be the way to do it. And I can't imagine I'm trying to wrap my my, my brain around and trying to wrap my arms around what is happening. And I'm wondering why in the world. But listen, listen, it's because, because God lives in a different universe than we do. God is in charge. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. Amen. But he, he is in charge and he is working in every situation. The old hymn of the church said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's about time. It's about time we gave up. Time we gave up our rights. It's also about time we gave up our resources. Our resources. Not one amen there. Didn't expect them. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. Let me suggest three things about our resources this morning. Number one, everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. We just read that in Psalm 24 And one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all his people belong to him. In another portion of scripture, the Bible calls us stewards. Now we understand that a steward is a manager of somebody else's property. See, we need to understand that we don't own anything. God owns everything. Some of you buck and fuss and don't like it, and some even leave the church when the pastor has the audacity to say that the first 10% of their income belongs to God. Well, that is true, but let me also tell you that the other 90% belongs to God. Also, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. We're, We're merely stewards. We're merely managers of God's property. I love the old story of the man that challenged God. This man claimed to be able to create something even better than God could create. And so he challenged God to a a creation, and, and God took the challenge. And God said to the man, said, you can even go first. And so the man knelt down on his knee, and he scooped up a handful of dirt. And God looked to the man, and he said, oh, no, you don't. You get your own dirt. See, everything we have belongs to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything we have belongs to God. Number two, God wants a portion of what we have. God wants a portion of what we have. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says, and it's the question, will a man rob God? What a question. How can man rob God? Can he get a ski mask on and sneak up behind the throne of God with a 357 Magnum and say, all right, God, this is a stick-up? What a question. Will a man rob God? God asked the question, but then he answered it himself. He said, but you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? How in the world could we rob you, God? God said, in tithes and offerings. And he said, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. See if I will not rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that, you will, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations are going to call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I say this morning that if God owns everything, if what we have is actually God's, and he simply loaned it to us, then, then he has every right to ask us for some of it. Already said it, but I'll restate it. God, God says that the first 10% of all of our income, all of our income, say all of our income, whether that come from our salary, whether that come from a gift, whether that come from an inheritance, whether that come from profit that we make from buying and selling something, 10% of all our income belongs to God. Not just 10%, the first 10%, the top 10%. Say, Pastor, do you pay tithe on the net or the gross? Where's the top? Do what you want to, but I want the blessing on the gross, amen? You can get your little net blessing if you want. That's not the blessing I want. Besides that, that's just where it starts. 10% of all our increase belongs to God. What is increase? Increase is anything we have today that we didn't have yesterday. If I have something today that I didn't have yesterday, I have increased. And my increase is what I have today that I didn't have yesterday. What should I tithe on? My increase. My increase. What do I have today that I didn't have yesterday? Whatever that is, that's what I owe a tithe on. You guys are really excited today. I can just really tell you're loving this. Amen. Since you love it so much, let me just go ahead and dig a little deeper this morning. God also wants our offerings. Now, an offering is anything we give to God after we pay our tithe. Not only did God say that he had been robbed by his people in the area of tithes, but also in the area of offering. Read it again, verse number 8. In what way have we robbed you, they asked. The answer, he said, in tithe and offering. Say, and offering. See, see, some people rob God in the area of tithes. Others rob God in the area of, of offerings. Now, listen, I didn't say that. I'm much too timid and much too nice to say that. I just read that to you out of my manual. Comes right out of the manual. Well, don't shoot the messenger. Too late. I've already had a couple of, of uh, arrows shot at me this morning. All right. Now, at the end of this service, we're going to receive our annual Thanksgiving offering. I've already talked about it a few moments ago. I'm not going to talk about it again. But I believe that God is pleased with what we are doing. And I challenge you to do the very best that you can. And if God specifically speaks to you to do a certain amount, I highly recommend obeying God. Remember, it takes trust to obey God. Disobedience reveals a lack of trust. Notice the third thing under 
resources. And that is God expects us to manage his resources well. Scripture points out that God doesn't waste anything. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish, he gathered up the fragments that remained. God doesn't waste anything. And Scripture points out that not only does God not waste anything, but God gets angry with mismanagement. One of many scriptures that point this out is the story of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. Here's what I've discovered. Most Christians are just trying to get to heaven. Most Christians are just trying to get to heaven. They think they're going to be happy if they can just make it in by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. Just barely make it in. What they need to understand, what they need to be concerned with is the judgment seat of Christ. I'm consumed with the judgment seat of Christ. Now understand that we're saved by By faith and not by works. We're saved by the grace of God. Our works has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation, only that they are a byproduct of the fact that we are saved. But you cannot do enough good works to get to heaven. You only get to heaven by the grace of God. You only get to heaven by placing your faith, trust, hope, confidence in what God did for you uh, on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get to heaven. But we need to understand that when we get to heaven, it's not all one size fits all. There's a thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, every every Christian is going to stand, actually bow before the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to be judged as to whether we're saved or lost, whether we're going to heaven or hell. The fact that we are at the judgment seat of Christ tells us we're going to heaven. Because if we're not going to heaven, we won't be at that judgment. We'll be at the great white throne judgment. That's another judgment you do not want to be at. But even though we're going to heaven, even though heaven is ours, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and every bit of our works, whether we obeyed or whether we disobeyed God, uh, whether what, what our attitude was, what our motivation was for the things we did or didn't do, all of those things, all of our works are going to be revealed. They've all been written down in this gigantic book that God has. And then based upon our motives and based upon our works, we are either going to be rewarded or we are going to watch all of our works burn up in smoke right before our very eyes. I'm going to tell you, I've lived pretty good in this life. Now, the first 25 years of ministry, I didn't live so good, but the last 20 have been pretty nice. Actually, probably the last 35 have been pretty nice. God has blessed us. Listen, he's blessed us, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so thankful, amen? But I don't want to be prosperous in this life and a pauper in that life. I, 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 want, I want some rewards, and I want them to last, amen? The word for the Lord of the Lord today is it's about time. It's about time we gave up. About time we gave up our rights. It's about time we gave up our resources. And finally, this morning, it's about time that we gave up our resentment. 
Now, this is not a subject that we like to talk about, and most Christians would never verbalize it. But all of us, at some time or other in our life, have had to battle this giant named resentment. Let me very quickly this morning give you three reasons for resentment and two, re- and two results of resentment. Three reasons for resentment and two results of resentment. The first reason for resentment is jealousy. Jealousy. You'll find that in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you'll read the entire story, you'll find that the prodigal son's big brother became jealous of his little brother and the undeserved special treatment his father gave him when he returned home from his sinful escapade. And this jealousy led to resentment and bitterness in the heart of big brother. Sometimes, if we're not very, very careful, we'll become, we will become jealous of somebody who has something that we don't have. Something that we so desperately want for ourselves. Maybe, maybe it's a mate, or maybe it's a child, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a nice, nice lifestyle. And, and we can allow that jealousy to grow until that jealousy grows into resentment and bitterness. Another reason is unfairness. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to feel like life has dealt us a bad hand. That everybody else has more to work with than we do. Such was the case with the servant who only received the one talent we find in the book of Matthew, chapter number 25, as, as the master brought his servants together and he gave one man One servant, five talents, and another one he gave two talents, and to this other guy, he only gave one talent. And this one that received the one talent thought it was unfair, and unfairness caused him to become resentful. Resentful that that, that the other two got more than he did. Resentful that his master didn't trust him with more than what he did trust him. But if you'll look a little deeper, what we don't realize and what he, what this one man didn't realize was that his master, his master only gave him one talent, not because that he loved the other two servants more. It was actually out of love that his master only gave him one talent. You say, Pastor, how in the world could that be out of, out, out of the love of the master that he gave one five talents and he gave another one two talents and he only gave the other guy one talent and you're saying the guy that got the one talent, he, needed to, he didn't understand that his master was really loving him by just giving him one talent. How does that make sense? The master gave him one talent because he loved him and knew his limitations. See, he might have wanted more talents, but he was not ready for more talents. Are you getting it? I said he might have wanted it. He might have envied the other that got five and the other that got two. He he might have wished for it. He might have thought that he deserved it. He might have wanted more than one talent, but he, he, he wasn't equipped. He wasn't ready to handle more than one talent. Pastor, how do you know that? Well, look how he handled the one talent. The master knew of his limitations. The master knew what he would do with what he gave him. 
The master knew he couldn't handle more talents. He didn't even handle the one correctly. If you want more proof of that, read verse 15 of Matthew 25. It says that the master gave to his servants according to their own ability. Why did he give the one five and why did he give the other two? And why did he just give the other one one? Because he gave according to their ability. You see, we might think we deserve more than we have been given, but God knows what we can handle. Why did God give me nine widow women over 70 years old and two kids in my first church? Because that was more than I could handle. And I would look at other pastors that had, you know, 100 people. You know, man, when you've got 13 in, in church and somebody's got 100, man, you think they've got a big church. And I remember as a young pastor, thinking, man, if I could only have a church like they've got. I didn't know what to do with the little bitty one I had. <laughs> because God loved me, because God loved me, he didn't give me a church of 500. He gave me a church full of grandmas. Because grandmas love grandkids. And that's what those little ladies call my wife and I, the kiddies. <laughs> Our little pastors. <laughs> I was talking to my brother one day and I said, I don't understand. I said, I've heard horrible Horrible stories about this church and how mean these people are. I, I said, I don't understand. I don't have any of that. I'm thinking I must be a great pastor. <laughs> My brother said, well, what do they call you? I said, they call us the kiddies. They call us their grandkids. He said, well, how do Grandma treat grandkids? We may, we may want more, but God knows what we can handle. He knows what our ability is. And because he loves us, because he loves us, he doesn't give us what we can't handle. He doesn't give to us beyond our ability. And what we sometimes think is unfair is actually God loving on us. Loving on us by withholding from us the things that we don't have the ability to handle. Now that's good right there, folks. Third reason for resentment is favoritism. In Genesis 37, Jacob's favoritism of his son Joseph over his other sons produced resentment in Joseph's brothers. I don't know, this morning perhaps you have had to experience favoritism. Perhaps it came through your parents. Maybe it came through a teacher. Maybe it came through a coach. Maybe it came through a boss. Listen, to be overlooked for something because of favoritism can cause us to become resentful if we're not careful. I can get some help on the platform. I'm out of time this morning. We've looked at some reasons for resentment. Now let's look at some results of resentment. Let me give you two of them. Number one, it turns into poison. Resentment turns into poison. Hebrews 12 and 15 says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Notice, poisonous root of bitterness. The results of resentment 
It can turn you sour. It can poison you. Second result of resentment, many are affected. Hebrews 12 and 15 again, corrupting many. How many understand that resentment, bitterness, doesn't just affect us, but it affects everyone that our life is connected to. Takeaway for today's message is simply this. It's futile to fight against God. Romans 9 and 20 says, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to that one that created it, Why have you made me like this? Second takeaway this morning is man should surrender everything to God. It's his anyway. It's his anyway. We should surrender everything to him. Can we stand this morning? It's about time. It's about time. It's about time we gave up. About time we gave up our rights. If he's our master and we're the servant, we have no rights. Time we gave up our resources. They're not ours anyway. Time we gave up our resources. Time to stop clutching our resources with a clenched fist. It's time to live life with an open hand. It's time we gave up our resentment. Holding on to that Anger, hanging on to that bitterness. Hanging on, well, they did this, well, they did that. Well, you know what? They've moved on. You're the only one that's being affected by it right now. They've moved on. They forgot about it. It's poisoning you and poisoning all those around you while they move on. It's time. You gave up. I ask you this morning, which of these are you holding on to today? Which of these are you having trouble turning loose out.